Peter is a prep cook and a movie fan. He reads newspapers, magazines, and comic books. Stergios Botsakis, a professor of literacy and education at the University of Tennessee, asked Peter to talk with him for a study he was conducting about adults who read comic books. Peter explained, comic books are my little escape. You know, a lot of things had gone bad for me, and at the time I wasn't really collecting comics, but I started to, once I got a new job and a place to live, I started getting back into comics, and it kind of helped. I didn't have that many friends or friends I wanted to associate with. I could remember I used to collect comic books when I was younger, and it made me feel good. The characters are still there. I can still go. I can still get an X-Men comic. I can still go and get Batman. You know, they are old friends and they're still here. It's not that I think they're my friends or anything, but they're a constant. Dr. Batsakis points out that escape has been a recurrent feature in the descriptions of why people engage in reading. Reading comic books was an escape from present grim realities into a fantasy realm and, in Peter's case, pleasant sensations from the past. Peter noted that comic books have grown up with me. You know, Peter Parker started out as a teenager, then he went to college, he got married, he was progressing along with his readers. The continuous narrative of the comic book ran parallel to Peter's life, providing him with a fictional account of what growing up and going through life changes was like. This affinity came into play when he chose his pseudonym, a reference to Spider-Man's alter ego, Peter Parker. Spider-Man, for him, was a type of fictional friend, someone with whom he could identify. Words from the study by Stergios Botsakis, adult fans of comic books, what they get out of reading. Peter says he reads comics to escape, there's a nostalgia for the past and a certain comfort in seeing the characters he recognizes over the years. If we listen carefully, we'll hear echoes of Peter's experience of reading comic books in the back and forth between two comic book fans who've grown up and now study the world of comics and superheroes. Alan Austin and Patrick Hamilton are faculty members at Misericordia University in Dallas, Pennsylvania, just outside of Wilkes-Barre. They are co-authors of All New, All Different, A History of Race and the American Superhero. And we knew they are sure to have seen the Spider-Man film, Spider-Man No Way Home, that's breaking box office records. We asked them to help us understand something about the film and its impact. Dr. Hamilton. In a lot of ways, I think Spider-Man is still to this day Marvel's most iconic character. I mean, when you think of superheroes in the public consciousness, particularly before the recent decade or whatever of films, the ones people could probably rattle off would be Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Spider-Man. Those would be the four. And and so Spider-Man is, is the one Marvel, the other three are DC. So yeah, Spider-Man is... Probably Marvel's most recognizable hero. Starts out as as high school teenager Peter Parker. As things happen, gets bit by a radioactive spider. And of course, gets the proportional strength and ability of a spider. Decides to use those powers for good. After failing to stop a burglar who ends up being the same man that murders his Uncle Ben. And so, from that comes the, the great tagline of Spider-Man, which is that with great power 
comes great responsibility, which is sort of of I think it's appeared in almost every single iteration of Spider-Man in film. And when when Spider-Man appeared for the first time in the early 1960s, he was really something different. We had superheroes before then. So before World War II, Superman had arrived and then Batman and then Wonder Woman, thinking about sort of that pantheon that Patrick just put together. But the Cold War had really neutered them in some ways. They had kind of removed themselves from the real world. They told very childish stories that seemed to be really grounded largely in an escapism or an attempt to escape Cold War anxieties in a lot of ways. And personality-wise, they were very flat. Yeah, as bland as they possibly could be. And you could read an issue of Justice League back then, and you could just exchange the dialogue balloons between characters because they had no... No distinctiveness They had at no all. personality, yeah. really. And what Marvel did in the early 60s that really kind of changed the comic book game was create characters that were much more human in some ways. So that Peter Parker is, he's just a teenager. He's a flawed hero. He struggles with kind of balancing school and work and girls. And he's just as often apt to make a mistake as he is to do the right thing. And in in this way, Marvel was kind of reinventing the way comic books functioned. And it was a phenomenon in the early 60s. Mm-hmm. Stan Lee, who was kind of the guy running Marvel already at that time, would tour college campuses. Everybody was reading it, and it was clearly speaking to a new generation in a way that those old-fashioned DC heroes just didn't connect anymore. In any instance like this, the feedback that Stan Lee would get when he would tour a campus or the letters, did that, do you think, have an impact on the shaping of the character or the stories? Or, yes, you're on the right track because we're selling a lot of comic books. I think the feedback and the sales. I mean, Patrick is a writer of letters to comic book companies. Oh, yes, his, I, I, had, I had a few published back in back in the day. They're, they're it, somewhat embarrassing at this point. <laughs> but one of the things that Marvel really did was create a conversation with its readers. Mm-hmm. And out of that kind of came a community. So you would get these comic zines that were put together by fans. Mm-hmm. And some fans, of who would eventually become creators themselves. Right, right. And it kind of started to build a community that I think is really well exemplified in the Marvel Cinematic Universe today, that, that the community they started building there. In the new movie, No Way Home, <laughs> there is a tremendous amount of work being done to make those fans really kind of enjoy the mm-hmm. moment, what some would call fan service. Yeah, No Way Home is very much a homage and, and sort of, of uh, celebration of Spider-Man, particularly the various film versions of Spider-Man that we've had basically throughout the 20, 21st century at this right. point. And so that means that the Peter Parker Spider-Man in the 60s is still somehow there inside that costume? Absolutely. I think mm. you could make the argument that the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe removed him further from mm-hmm. his origins than maybe the Tobey Maguire franchise did. But I think if you look at all of the Spider-Men that kind of show up in the film, if I can say that without spoiling anything. You know, the Maguire Spider-Man, the Garfield Spider-Man, the Holland Spider-Man, they all have something of Peter Parker. And there's, there's such a such a wide literature about Peter Parker now that they, they're all able to be different and yet clearly Peter. Yeah, I think Tom Holland, the most recent Spider-Man, I think he's the one that most captures the actual Peter Parker as a high school student. He's the youngest of all the ones to play it. And, and even if he's not, you know, high school age himself, he still has a very youthful look to him. And so he's of the original Spider-Man that was, you know, high school student Peter Parker. I think he's the one 
that embodies that version of Spider-Man and Peter Parker the most. And yet on our podcast, which we were just taping yesterday, we kind of argued about the merits of the various actors who have worn the tights in the 21st century. And it's it's hard to distinguish in many ways because they all capture a part mm-hmm. of Peter Parker that maybe yeah. the others don't quite so well. Yeah, they're all they're all really good in the role. And and one of the things that I mentioned to Alan is from the moment that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire show up in No Way Home, there's no learning curve in terms of them being like they're immediately back in the role and playing it exactly the way they did back in the day and it, it, it was it again speaking to that idea of fan service just from the moment they show up where you're kind of back in the the world of of their spider-man as well as tom holland and patrick's one to maybe embrace fan service a little bit more than me I, I, in my old age i maybe become a little bit cynical about it I, i'd still like there to be a story and something that moves me <laughs> and not just fan service in the course of a movie but even i when the three spider-man kind of shared the screen together. It's just, I don't know how you can have watched those movies across the past 20 years and not just be kind of delighted by the ways in which, you know, Peter Parker would interact with himself in this really terrific way. Yeah, the the writers of the film clearly were able, and director and, and everyone were clearly able to capture what it would mean for these three characters to interact just perfectly it's it's funny it's moving you know as i told alan i didn't realize that i still needed closure from the andrew garfield version of spider-man until watching the film and it gave me that closure i'm like oh did not know i needed that yeah walking into the film not thinking of it as spider-man number eight which is kind of what it ultimately becomes in the way that it pulls all these different universes together Mm -hmm. It was a really wonderful kind of moment when they share the screen. Yeah, it's it's because of that. It's I would say one of the, if not the most enjoyable, MCU films. It's just it's a lot of fun. I think like twenty minutes in, I realized like I, I'm not going to think about the story too much because we're clearly trying to get from point A to point B to point C, and then once you get to point C, it's great and it justifies everything they did to get there. Yeah, I think that thinking about how enjoyable it was mm-hmm. is is, and you might contrast that to maybe it wasn't the best film that you've ever watched, yeah. but it was a heck of a lot of fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. to watch and so like there's a difference between like the quality of the film and the enjoyability maybe yeah. but it is it is super enjoyable yeah it's Absolutely. just it's, it's a fun even movie. for a cynic like me and the box office is reflecting that people yeah. are loving it yes reviews both from fans and critics it's been just yeah universally think... acclaimed and and in the midst of a pandemic the numbers it's pulling right now are, are even more impressive yeah it's i think it as of this weekend moved into the top 10 domestic box office of all time and it's only it's only a few million behind number nine so it, it's clearly gonna probably gonna move into nine this week and i think eight or seven isn't far away so it's it's been a massively successful film i think it's the best december opening of a film I think it, it beat out Star Wars Force Awakens, which was the previous holder. And you now see some critics beginning to to point out that maybe Spider-Man is saving cinema in yeah. some ways. That an industry that's been limping along. And how do you find your footing yeah. in the midst of the, the COVID pandemic? Yeah. Well, how yeah. do you make it work? Well, somehow this is maybe partly a, a matter of timing, but it, there's there's something in the zeitgeist that this movie is is connecting to that that is bringing people to the theaters and 
in ways that made me a little bit uncomfortable yeah. as I sat in the theater. Yeah. It was crowded. It was a lot of people there. Yeah, well, and, and there was even some of that Spider-Man's going to save movie theaters in the couple of weeks running up to the film. Like I saw a couple articles where people were talking about like, yeah, no, Spider-Man is, is what's going to save movie theaters for this year because it's going to bring in the crowds. Because yeah, I, I went opening night and I got the very last seat in the theater and thankfully it was an aisle seat. So it's like, oh, I will take that seat. Exactly, I'll seat exactly where I normally like to sit anyways. I was like, I will take that. That is fantastic. They had a three o'clock showing that day that was already completely sold out. And I can't remember the last time I've gone to get a ticket for a movie here in, in Northeast Pennsylvania and wasn't able to get one. I was like, okay, this is clearly going to be doing some numbers. I wonder about the spillover effect as well, because I, I just love movies. And so probably some more than I should have over <laughs> over the break. But my family went to see West Side Story as well and we went to see licorice pizza and both did especially licorice pizza did a much larger crowd than we expected we went to the first showing like licorice pizza is not exactly everybody's cup of tea and even that had a, a nice showing so hopefully hopefully something we've talked with you together about your early days as lovers of superheroes <laughs> and let's go back to young patrick and young alan <laughs> and your initial contact with spider-man were you fans right away yeah i mean i i have a number of spider-man comics from the 1970s when i would have been what like four or five or six that my parents picked up or I picked up at the thrifty store in like the, the polybagged three pack. So I've, o I've always kind of had an affection for Spider-Man, even though I never really collected, I don't, I'm still to this day, I've never really collected his title regularly. But again, he, he's one of those characters that kind of everyone I think has a, a little bit of an affection for just because he's so well known between the comics and the movies and, and the cartoons in the eighties and electric company when he would show up on there. I was going to say for, for me, if I go back and look at my comic book collection, whatever I have from Spidey in the seventies, it's tattered because I just, I oh, yeah, minor read wrecked. it like over and over again. It has no collecting value whatsoever. But for me, I think Spider-Man was inescapable in the early seventies between the, the cartoon that you still see memes about all over social oh, yeah. media the Electric Company, you know, the PBS show, Teaching Kids to Read. Mm -hmm. had, like, I, I watched it religiously just hoping Spider-Man would show yep, up. absolutely just, the same. I just like as a kid, absolutely loved, yeah. loved it. I think I came to love Spider-Man more from the stuff outside of the comic books than inside the comic books, which also speaks to kind of the, the, the genius of Marvel. They understood that comics were only the staging ground and that it was the way in which you could merchandise the character more broadly you know he could be under ruse and he could be teaching you to read and he could be a saturday morning cartoon and he like he could be all of those things yeah i remember spending many an hour just with a blank sheet of paper drawing various images of spidey from the comics and just having him like bouncing all around in the page in a way that made some sort of sense to me i forgot about the comic strip as well you mentioned the zeitgeist alan and patrick let's go deeper what would spider-man be saying to a covid-ridden distressing time like ours i would start with escapism this is a film again that you can't think about the plotting i've asked patrick 104 questions about like how does magic actually work in this setting that are really unanswerable this is a movie that's just about fun. To me, part of it is you can't do anything with this movie except go into the theater and turn off your, your critical apparatus for two hours yeah. and just kind of let it wash over you and enjoy it. And I think 
part of it is that is that yeah. there is a, a an escapism mm-hmm. built in especially Tom Holland is adorable and charismatic and well, super it, it's, engaging it's a charismatic cast particularly the main leads in terms of of Holland but also Zendaya Jacob Batalon like the the three main characters in the film they're they're a very charismatic cast yeah although I feel this this is a movie that unlike some other Marvel movies isn't asking you to kind of think about it as an allegory or as a metaphor there may be some poorly executed attempts in this film to think about villains crossing over from different universes as immigrants, but that can only lead you with Doctor Strange building a wall that keeps all of them out. Yeah. So it, it seems like a little a little reactionary. Yeah, there, there's in a that moment way. in the film where for the big showdown it's at the Statue of Liberty and Peter Parker says something about I want to have it here because this is a place known for second chances. And that that that's all there is in terms of talking about immigration. It's or the idea. immigrant dream. But that's mostly accidental, I think. I don't think people are flocking to it as a nativist film. I yeah. think people are flocking to it because they can just stop thinking yeah. and stop worrying. And oh, like yeah. Patrick said, it only takes 15 minutes yeah. to bring this host of villains in from the previous films, which is what what the fans want it's 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 giving them what they want there's just this gasp of excitement when mm-hmm. when toby mcguire shows up for the first time or the green goblin shows up for the first time and you can only enjoy it by not thinking about it don't we all need a break from thinking? a break from thinking point, yeah because yeah. yeah the the crowd that i was there with on the opening night was a raucous crowd they were they were cheering at every single moment that you could possibly cheer at like that the 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 energy and enthusiasm and, and just fun. And it, it's the first one in a long time where we got to the end of the movie. And even to this day, I mean, you know that there are post credit scenes and you still see people leaving. Nobody left. Not a single person left the theater. Like, everyone stayed. And so there, I, I agree. I think it's, I think it's success very much demonstrates that it, it's speaking to a need for this kind of escapism. I mentioned Star Wars Force Awakens, which was the previous kind of, of December record holder, which again was another film that I think had a, a similar effect. And in, in that was the film that kind of, of brought us back into the Star Wars universe after the prequels, which everyone was like, at best, they were uneven. And I always thought that that film was like, yes, the point of this film is to remind us that we're back in the Star Wars universe and what we loved about it. It's very much based in that kind of nostalgia. Spider-Man is very much based in a similar kind of nostalgia for Spider-Man and in particular the the three different film franchises we have. And so again, I, I don't know if it's the end of the year and December is a time when we're all looking for that, but both of those films have been the two most successful films in December, both by engaging in kind of a nostalgia and fan service for their particular franchises. And I, I think Americans have, throughout their history in times of crisis, looked to the past to try to find a safe haven or a refuge, a place where they could feel as if, all right, things are bad right now, but we used to have it straight. And kind of anchoring ourselves in those positive kind of celebratory memories of the past allows us to imagine a better future, even when we are living in a world where, as we were saying before we started today, it's hard to imagine like, how do we see our way out of a crisis when a variant seems to be popping up every other week and it just the crisis never seems to relent. I didn't really feel the need to see any more Tobey Maguire Spider-Man and I loved Andrew Garfield, but I didn't have a hankering to see him. But all of a sudden when they're on the screen together, you just kind of feel you just feel good yeah. about where we are. I think I posted something on Twitter the other day that, that Marvel might have known something when they jumped from 2018 in their universe to 2023. Because they just kind of skipped over everywhere that we're at now. And so, it, I mean, it very much is a literal vision of the future and that they're still in 
I think the end of 2023 at this point in their universe. So right. I hope I hope they know something because it would be nice if we were done by 2023. In that way, they're connecting Tobey Maguire in the early 21st century to a post-pandemic view of the world or a post-pandemic world. And that's that has to bring some kind of comfort to a group of people that are struggling. I mean, they either knew something or they're just incredibly lucky. They've skipped over having to represent the pandemic at all in their universe. They've literally skipped every year. What about when you can, as a grown-up, share the characters with your children? Yeah. When Bobby comes home from college, we still drive up to Comics on the Green. And to me, the, the comic buying experience has always been about more than just buying comic books. Yeah, when Bobby was young and Hope was young, although Hope is less interested in the comic book store now, <laughs> I would take them up there regularly. And there's just there's something great about childhood and browsing the shelves and like just picking out whatever it is you want and not collecting in any way, but just finding what speaks to you. But like, some of my best memories of childhood are my dad taking my brother and me to the local newsstand and giving us 75 cents and saying, like, go get what you want to get. And so for me... Those trips to the comic book store are more about kind of the family in some ways than they are the comic book store. Although we still buy comic books when we're there. So so to me, it's been it's been a lot of fun to to do that. And Hope is not a big fan of superhero movies, but she loves Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So, so and that, she that loves one, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man and she loves, too. Yeah, but well, she Sp- loves Andrew Garfield, period. Right. Yeah. Well, it's clear that, that Spider-Man is one that really speaks to her yeah. still. So, yeah. To, to still go to buy comics or to go to the movies with hope and to watch Spider-Man is it's just a joy for me because I think, speaking of nostalgia, it takes me back to like my best family moments as a kid. Yeah, I mean, I've tried to share it with my child, which is my three-year-old beagle, but she just eats them. <laughs> but along the same lines as Alan, I would pick up comics sporadically at the grocery store or wherever we were at when I was shopping with my parents. And then I remember when I was like 13, 14, I remember my mom saying, she's like, did you know that there's a comic book store right by the high school? I'm like, what's a comic book store? And went in and they already had the next month's issue out. But I just bought issue 18 yesterday. 19's here. And then found out that my dad, when I very quickly got into collecting regularly at that point, like he took me to the the comic convention every single year. Even though he always said, I don't know why you're buying all this stuff. You keep buying all these comics because it's it's an event. And then there's just going to be another one. I'm like, no, Dad, that's not what's going to happen. I'm just getting this one event and then it's going to be over. And he's like, it's not going to be over because it's going to be another event. And yes, he was right still to this day. But yeah, so it was always something that my parents very much encouraged. I remember that I completed my collection of Avengers on a high school choir trip. On our way to Canada, we were still in Washington State, and they had the last issue I needed up on the wall. And I saw it. I'm like, Dad, 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 that's the last issue I need. I, can you please, 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 whatever you do, buy it for me. And it's like, shut up, because the owner could see me. And my dad was like, no negotiation. No neg- yeah, right? my dad wanted to negotiate, and the owner was like, yeah, no, it's $100. Which my dad did did actually buy and get for me, and, and I completed my collection. But yeah, he was so annoyed. He's like, shut up. But, but so much of what makes comic books so powerful, I think, is the community it creates within yeah. families but also among fans. So that as Patrick talks about the, the collective response to the film on opening night, it it's a shared experience yeah. in which everybody remembers Tobey Maguire yeah. in these fond kinds of ways. Yeah, and I, and I think another thing that's very much sort of part of the zeitgeist right now is is us having a hard time sharing experiences, having a, a common mind about things. And I think yeah. that's another thing that Spider-Man and, and, and comics sort of, of accomplish and bring us together, even, even at some of our most divided 
In a world that seems increasingly polarized, it seems like everybody agrees that three Spider-Men on the screen at the same time is just, yeah. is, is beautiful. There's no disagreement. Does whatever a spider can Alan Austin, professor of history, Patrick Hamilton, professor of English at Misericordia University in Dallas, Pennsylvania, just outside Wilkes-Barre. They are co-authors of the study. All New, All Different, A History of Race and the American Superhero, published by the University of Texas Press, and they teach courses in such matters. We knew they would have seen the new Spider-Man film, Spider-Man No Way Home, and they spoke with us about the film and the impact and what it might say to us in 2022 now. They have a podcast that they do regularly. It's titled Even More Mashed Up, and it's available wherever podcasts are found, but you might try mashedup.podbean.com, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, mashedup.podbean.com. They talk about all kinds of cultural matters, not just superheroes, and it's even more mashed up. The University of Texas Press is utexaspress.com, utexaspress.com. And the website for Misericordia is misericordia.edu, misericordia.edu, M-I-S-E-R-I-C-O-R-D-I-A. And the book is All New, All Different, A History of Race and the American Superhero, by Patrick Hamilton and Alan Austin, and Alan is A-L-L-A-N, Austin, A-U-S-T-I-N. Spider-Man in the chair.